Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's going on here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the message. How we doing? Good. Good morning, everybody. How are y'all? Right. Oh, man. They win. It's downhill from here, man. <laughs> no, they win. They were better. They were, they, they, they were better. better. We'll give you a second chance. We've had to give every, every, give every, every, every audience two times, okay? So see how good y'all do. How y'all doing this morning? <laughs> see, they win. They win. Yeah, they, they, they definitely, win. <laughs> definitely. Yeah, I'm excited to be here with you today. Yeah, it's really, going to be a fun uh, weekend. Before we get started, I do want to say one thing, though. Um, we're in a series called New Normal. Right. And... Uh, I just want to say thank you because I think you've established a new normal for our church. I think your willingness, the way you lead us by being so transparent and, and letting us know what you're going through, what your family's going through, I think has changed our church. I mean, I, I, I think people come in without their mask on anyway. I think a lot of times, you know, when you would go to church, you'd always wear a mask. You had to let everybody know that everything was great and everything was going fine. You didn't want anybody to see what was going on. And uh, that's not even biblical. I mean, right. Jesus said, right. in this world, we'll face trouble. He said, right. you're going to be going through some stuff. Right. But then he said, take heart. And I think that's what you've been doing, not yeah. just through this series, but in, in the way that you've been speaking to us. You've been telling us how to take heart no matter what circumstance we're going through. So I just wanted to say thank you before thank we you, get Ron. started. I appreciate, I appreciate it. it. Thank you. Yeah, I, um, I wrote to Rob's point. I really do think that... Uh, a new, kind of a new dynamic of my speaking happened really after Cindy's diagnosis uh, from that first weekend out in September, I'm sorry, in uh, June of 2014, when I shared that initially with the church of what we were dealing with, it really was kind of a, a moment for me to realize that, you know, there's some things you can't carry on your own, like Laney was talking about earlier. You need support, you need your church family. And so it's been as therapeutic for me I hope as it has been for some of you to kind of process and walk with me through that because like Rob was saying, everybody's going through something, right? I mean, it's amazing to me to hear the stories of people who are coming out saying, this is what's going on in my world. This is what I've been through, what I'm going through. I had a, a, a wonderful message from a member of our church and I asked if I could share a little piece of it with you this morning and he said, absolutely. He told me that back in 2013, uh, his wife of uh, 26 years was killed in a tragic car accident. He said, I had partnered with God. God had brought me through so many incredible experiences in my life. He said, but for the first time, I, I hit that wall. He said, I found myself in that dark place that I've talked about in that spiral of losing the love of my life through in such a tragic way. He said, I went through all that that you discussed, the anger, the anger at God, you know, the why this, why me, why my wife, and uh, you know, the death of not only his, his wife, but the death of some dreams that they had together. So I get that. And he said that uh, at a time of despair, uh, not too many months back, his daughter and her family, uh, he said, were going to the Met and still are. Uh, she said, Dad, our pastor's kind of going through some stuff. Uh, why don't you come one weekend? Just listen to him and see if uh, 
Maybe he can encourage you a little bit. So he did. And from here to wherever he was sitting, there was a connection, you know, that was made. And he said God began to kind of help him reorder and reestablish a new normal in his life. And he said, I just want you to know, man, things are going better for me now. He said, uh, I'm hopeful. God is helping me see a brighter future. This last year, he said, Rob baptized me. He said, I've reconnected in my faith and with my Savior. And he said, I'm loving Jesus more than ever before. My family's doing amazing. But he said, I just wanted you to know, hope it encouraged you to know that there are other people that have connected with you along this journey. And I guess, Rob, that's really why we've done it. I, I pray for every day, I pray for purpose, you know. You sure don't want to go through something like this for no reason. That's right. That would be horrible. And so to find that there is a connection that we make with one another in different ways has really been encouraging to me. And so we're just kind of figuring this out as we go, right? I mean, I don't have answers. Holy cow. The older I get, the dumber I get. I'm getting ignoranter and ignoranter all the time. But we're just kind of figuring this out as we go. And sometimes you just put one foot in front of the other. And, uh, and that's kind of how we're doing this. And we talked, Rob and I talked this weekend about doing this type of service, and we talked about the most significant new normal that I think any of us could establish, and is that new normal when we really do stake our faith in Christ, when we place it mm-hmm. in Him. Yeah, and I think, you know, on a side note, I, I said this last night, Bill doesn't do this during the week, okay? No, I'm generally really happy. <laughs> He's really... <laughs> But I think what happens is, and, and this is why I was kind of talking about this at the beginning, you know, when he stands on this platform, he is really pouring out, you know, what is going on. And I think that's so great. But it, again, it comes back to the hope that you're talking about and what, what he went through is that I'm facing a dark time, but I still have hope. Right. And that, that because my new normal is being changed by God. Right. And I think that's what we wanted to talk about is what does that look like when God actually changes your new normal? Remember when uh, in uh, 2 Corinthians 5, it says that, that when you become a Christ follower, you become a new creation. There's a new normal that needs to be set of, doing, of, of what happens. And, and I was reading, I found this uh, little quote here, and it says that nature forms us, sin deforms us, Education informs us, prison reforms us, but only Jesus transforms us. Yeah, it's good. And it's Jesus who sets the new normal in our life. And today, that's what we want to talk about. We want to talk about setting a new normal. And to, to do that, we want to look at a character in the Bible that I think actually transformed more than anybody else. I mean, if you're here today and you're kind of kicking the tires and, and you're going, well, you know, I know you can change, I can do this. I go, but you haven't seen what I've gone through. I don't, you haven't seen my past. Let me tell you, you got nothing on this guy, okay? This guy um, took it to the, to the nth degree, but God changed him, Yeah. and he ended up doing amazing things. Today we're talking about Paul. Yeah. Paul's got a story, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, he wrote more of the New Testament than anyone, but he was the least likely person you would ever imagine uh, that would have that uh, experience if you knew his past. And the beautiful thing about God is he can know our past, but that doesn't affect our future. And uh, Paul was a, a guy that really was, was uh, very brilliant in many ways. He was the uh, star student of Gamaliel, who was the, um, was the top rabbi, I guess, in Jerusalem at mm-hmm. that time. He was his star student. 
So this guy knew scripture, he knew the Bible. He's the last guy you would want to argue. <laughs> well, theology would be, would be Paul, his name was Saul at that time. Brilliant, brilliant mind. A military guy, he knew discipline, he knew politics, uh, very successful in life, very effective man. And yet he had a problem, he had a hostility toward Christians. Uh, he, he had a very big anger toward the claims of Christ, that Jesus, the arrogance to say, he is the Messiah. He's the one, the promise from the beginning of time, right? And Saul was alive when Jesus was crucified. He was certainly aware of all the events of that day, but he didn't buy into it. And it was a, 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 a incredible, uh, can I use the word epiphany, that really changed his life where he established a faith in Christ that would carry him to his last day. Mm -hmm. He really found a new normal. And I guess as Rob and I talked about it, it doesn't matter who you are, how hard you are, uh, where your heart is this morning, God can transform anyone. There's no one too hard for him. And uh, so uh, it takes time, people process in different ways. Saul didn't come to faith for a long time. Yep. He knew the Bible, he knew scripture, he was a religious man. Uh, but he didn't come to faith until there were certain circumstances in his life that changed and that brought him to a place where he could trust Christ. We've often said people change when they see the light or they feel the heat. Uh, sometimes it's more information you need and sometimes it's just circumstances of life you need to bring you to a place where you realize you can't do it on your own. Like Rob said earlier, really the, the, the principle is this, unless you have within you that which is above you, you'll eventually succumb to what is around you and ultimately fall into what is beneath you. We all need something greater than we presently have to navigate through this life and, and he found that. And, and we were talking about how too that, that God was working on him through this process. Even right. the fact that, you know, he thought Christians were the, the worst thing that were going on in the world. And that's why he made it his, his task to get rid of all of Christians. Sure. But in the process of doing that, God was working on him. And so you might be here today and again, you're, you might be kicking the tires and just trying to checking this out. But I think you're here for a reason. Right. And I think you're here for a reason because God wants to set a new normal in your life. And it starts by giving your heart to Christ. There was kind yeah. of an interesting story yeah. that takes place in Acts 7 before we get right. to what we're going to be talking about. Yeah, I about. think when you study his life, and, and really if you and I had a chance to just talk one-on-one, -on -one, and I could hear your story and you could hear mine, what we would find is each of us have a different track that kind of brings us to faith or drives us away from faith. But we each have a different track. And, and Saul was certainly on a, a certain track. Started out in religion, uh, and all religion did was make him angry. Some of the meanest people I know are religious people. <laughs> I'm just telling you. I've been in that world all my life. Believe me, some of the meanest people I know are religious. I mean, who was it that called for the crucifixion of Jesus? It was largely the religious group, right? And so for most people to come to faith in Christ, you got to get past your religion. You know, you got to get over your religion. And that was a big impediment to, the, to Saul becoming a Christian was he had to get past his religion. He had to get over that. It was not a, a, a stepping stone. It was actually a stumbling block. And God loved him and extended grace to him and mercy as he does to all of us. And when you began to study the track of Saul's conversion, I think one of the greatest moments of his life happened in, in a very tragic moment in Acts chapter 7 um, where you have Stephen who is the first martyr of the New Testament. He's being stoned to death for his faith. And the Bible doesn't say Saul was throwing stones at Stephen. He was holding the coats of the people who did. Sometimes silence is golden and sometimes silence is sinful. Uh, he didn't say anything. 
<laughs> he consented, the Bible says, to Stephen's death. He, he didn't cry out and try to stop it. He didn't see an injustice and he tried to stand against it. He just rolled with the flow and he allowed Stephen to be killed and be martyred. And one of the moments I think that really gripped the Apostle Paul's mind and heart was in the closing moments of Stephen's life when he makes this statement in Acts 7. He looks up into the heavens and as he's dying, he says this, I see Jesus standing at the Father's right hand. Now all the Old Testament and into the New, anytime you see depictions of Jesus, he's seated at the right hand of the Father, sitting at the right hand of the Father, not standing. But when Stephen sees him, he sees him now as he stands. Well, you and I know the custom, if someone of, of importance, of preeminence, walk into a room, we stand to honor their presence. And I think when Jesus saw the martyrdom of Stephen and what he was willing to do for his faith, I think it impressed our Savior so much that he stood to welcome his child home. And I think, Rob, at that moment, something was happening in Saul's mm -hmm. heart and in his mind. Because you don't go too far from that experience till you get to the words of our text, mm -hmm. where there's going to be an encounter that he's gonna have with this Messiah, with this Jesus, who's resurrected and he's in the presence of God. Yeah. So if you've got your Bibles, why don't you go ahead and open up to Acts 9. And what we can see is that, that uh, Saul is on his way to continue doing what he's doing. He wants to take care of, uh, get rid of Christians. And it says, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. And disciple, again, is anybody who follows Jesus. And he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. So that if he found any there who belonged to the way, and this is, again, these are the followers of, of Christ, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Yeah. In that moment, I, I believe Saul had this epiphany. I believe in this moment he had a, a genuine spiritual awakening. Because when you look at the Bible, the Bible talks about the significance of the fact in Romans 10 verse 9 that no one can refer to Jesus as Lord except the Spirit give him that power. And I think in this moment you have a, a, pivotal, a pivotal moment in Paul's mind and heart where I think for the first time he acknowledged the fact this Jesus that I knew was crucified. This Jesus that I'd heard has been raised from the dead. This Jesus is the Messiah. He's hearing his voice out of heaven and it's incredible. He's saying to him, you know, why are you persecuting me? Now the question might be, well, he wasn't persecuting Jesus, he was persecuting Christians. But it's a beautiful thought to know that if you go after his kids, you're going after him. All you mama bears understand that. <laughs> is that you go after my kids, you're coming after me. And what Jesus was saying is, no, you're persecuting me. You're not just going after my kids, you're coming for me. And in that moment, he refers to Jesus as something that's significant. Back in that day, if you were to swear an allegiance to anyone other than Caesar, if you were to say anyone else is Lord or anyone else is the leader, anyone else is in charge other than Caesar, it was considered treason. No one could utter the words, anyone is Lord other than Caesar. Caesar is Lord, right? And Saul knew the rule, he knew the law, he knew theology. But for the first time, he refers to Jesus as Lord. Who are you, Lord? Now that's significant. Remember, we talked about this at Easter, how that Jesus went to the cross 
And he was crucified under Roman law, not because of the claims that initially the Jewish uh, uh, people and the religious people of of the day thought he should be crucified for, for claiming to be God. They said that's blasphemy. Anyone that claims to be God is guilty of blasphemy. Well, you remember Pilate could care less. He was a polytheist. He said, maybe he's a God. I don't care. I'll put his likeness on the mantle and light a candle to him, just one of the others. So he didn't have, a, it didn't give him any heartburn that Jesus claimed to be God. But then all of a sudden they said, but wait a minute, what about this? He claims to be king. And then Pilate goes, oh, well, now wait a minute, Jesus. You can say you're God till the cows come home. You just can't say you're a king. If you say you're a king, that's a problem because there is no king other than Caesar. Caesar is Lord. And Jesus did not refute it. He said, what they've said, they've said. And you remember over the cross, you have the words, here is Jesus, king of the Jews. So the, the legal justification for the crucifixion was not that Jesus claimed to be God, but that he claimed to be king. <laughs> and so Saul agreed to, I mean, a, a, a Pilate agreed to put Jesus to death because of that. So I'm just, I'm laying the groundwork to help you understand the significance of the statement. And what he was simply saying is, Lord, you're now my leader. <laughs> That's all the word Lord means. When the Bible was translated more into the common man's uh, English in about 1611 and change, um, they had lords and ladies back then. So when they came across this word to describe the preeminence of Jesus in the lives of his followers, they used the word Lord because people in that day understood lords and ladies. Now you and I don't refer to each other as Lord, but, uh, uh, but we do say we have leaders, right? We have leaders, people who, that we follow, that we look up to, we respect. So that's all Lord means is leader. So the first thing I see, Rob, as we really kind of dissect this narrative, is the epiphany on the road to Damascus, this new normal that he established when he received Jesus, is he found first and foremost, I got a new leader. I got, I got someone I'm going to follow for the rest of my life, a new and I, leader. And I think that's so significant for all of us, is to realize that you know we can look at him as just our savior, right? or we can look at him as our Lord. Right. And I think with so many people, it's hard to let go. Right. I mean, let's face it, before you gave your heart to Christ, you were in control of everything you did. Mm-hmm. You were in control of, of what, what you did, what you didn't do. And now all of a sudden, you are now surrendering yourself to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And I think another significant thing that so many people go through is go, well, what does that look like? I mean, how, how, how is that being different? I mean, I don't even know how to live the way I've been living and doing what I'm doing. I mean, I mean what, do I just sit and do nothing till he tells me what to do? And, uh, and no, I think the, the thing that you have to realize is that it starts by you doing what you already know to do. God's already told you to do some things, and you know these things, and when you start doing that, God's gonna reveal more things for you to do. That He tells you to pray. Do you pray every day? Do you have a close relationship with him? That's what God desires, is to have this relationship. And it's not just going to God when, when you need something, but it's actually including him in, in, in your daily conversations that you do with, with your family. You're now a child of God. He wants to have this communion with you. He wants to spend time. Start with that. He knows that... that um, that he wants you to read the, the Bible. He wants you to be in his word. He wants you to put that in his heart, memorize scripture. Are you doing that? You're waiting for God to show you more stuff and you're not doing the things you already know. It's the fact that's what, that's what Jesus did every time when, when Satan came after him. He went back at him with scripture. Do you know scripture? It starts with doing those things. He says to be a generous giver. Are you a generous giver? Are you excited about doing this? Are you giving back? He says to forgive. He says to love. It's these things, it's very, very simple. 
And as you do this, you start getting new normals set in your life. I found this um, quote from um, Oswald Chambers and it kind of sums it up. It says, obey God and the things he shows you and instantly the next thing is opened up. God will never reveal more truth about himself until you have obeyed what you already know. See, it starts by taking those steps of those new normal things you already do and you're gonna see how God is just gonna expand what your new normal looks like. Absolutely. And the next thing you see as you follow this narrative in Acts 9 is not only do you discover a new leader, but he also discovered a new light, a new light. What happened to him is immediately physically he was blinded, just blinded by the brightness and the brilliance of that light that shined from heaven. But the blindness was only temporary. And what had happened to him after he experienced his blindness is he sent to the house of a prophet uh, by the name of Ananias. And Ananias would be instrumental in helping him restore his physical sight. But I think there's a deeper reason in the blindness that he experienced because I think it's analogous to where we are before we met Jesus as opposed to after we meet Jesus. And that is there is a spiritual darkness that people have. The Bible talks about in what is it, 2 Corinthians 2, that the natural one, the one that is not, uh, doesn't know Jesus, the natural man, doesn't receive the things of the Spirit for they're strange and foreign to them. But the spiritual man does understand the things of the Spirit. It's like two frequencies. It's like you're on AM or FM, right? <laughs> and if you're on FM, you get the frequency. If you're on AM, you don't. And there is a spiritual frequency that you find when the presence of the Holy Spirit enters your life where you get things that you didn't get before. I talked last weekend about being enlightened, right? Uh, in, in Ephesians 1:18, Paul would say this later, I pray that the eyes of your heart be enlightened so that you may see. So you can see physically and not see spiritually. Uh, you say, I just don't see it. I mean, I get that you're a Christian. I get what you I don't see it. I, don't, I get when people say that, they really don't see it. <laughs> and so once you become a Christ follower, then you begin to get insight. You begin to see things through the eyes of faith that you really didn't see before. And so when his blindness was coming about physically, he was about to be able to, to see not only physically, but he was about to be able to see some things spiritually that he had never seen before. Well, I mean, Paul even talked about that too. Uh, I think it was in Corinthians when he said that, you know, that the God of this age is blinded. Right. The, the eyes so sure. that they don't see the ways of God. And I think this point. is what right. was happening. And what's interesting in this whole story about that is how, you know, Ananias was uh, aware of what God wanted to do. Yeah. And, uh, and so God reveals to him that you're the one that's supposed to go and, and, and heal yeah. Uh, Paul. Mm -hmm. and, and, uh, and not only are you supposed to go, but I've already told him you're coming to do this. And, and Ananias is thinking, this is a joke. He goes, what are you talking about? He goes, don't you know who this guy is? Yeah. He goes, he's coming to kill people like me. And you told him about me? Yeah. But I think he was aware <laughs> of, of what God was doing because right. God was saying, no, no. Right. That I'm now taking him mm -hmm. and he's going to have this new way of living, this new way of thinking, this right. new way, and because of the fact that my spirit will be upon him. They always say this, guys, this is for all you married guys out there. They say that every married man actually has two Holy Spirits, okay? They have the one living in him and the one living with him, okay? <laughs> that we have two so we can get this right. And, yeah. and, says, and guys, you've experienced this probably on several occasions because if you've ever been talking You've ever been talking and, and, uh, and all of a sudden you kind of peek over at your wife and she's like looking at you like, shut up, I didn't want you talking like that. And you immediately kind of close your mouth. 
Well, that's kind of this whole thing with this new light that we have now right. this, this advocate that Jesus talked about that he was going to send that's now mm-hmm. going to help us with where we need to be going, what we need to be saying. But we just have to tap in and we have to recognize, just like we recognize when our wife is looking at us, we have to recognize the Holy Spirit and the presence in our life. And that's what happened to Paul. Yeah. I mean, in, in the Rob's point about Ananias being real, real hesitant, I mean, he probably thought this was a, t- a tactic. This is a trick. This is not genuine. He's not sincere. You know, I mean, he's Kanye, right? He, do, can we really believe this is ge- genuine? Uh, I, I like Kanye, and I really hope and pray that's the real deal, and I believe it could be the real deal. But I'm just saying, there was skepticism, right? We re- you reading about some skepticism about Kanye's faith? People are, I don't know, I don't know. Well, wait a minute. Let's, let's tap the brake. I mean, that's the same thing they were about Paul, and I'm not saying Kanye's Paul, but I am saying his influence can be used to reach a whole lot of people for Jesus. And so I'm not going to criticize it. I'm going to say, wow, that's amazing. Praise God. But I'm just saying, I'm just saying, Paul was a very influential uh, figure. Everybody knew who he was. Uh, Certainly the Christians who were hiding from him knew who, who he was. And all of a sudden, he's coming out saying, I've met Jesus. Mm-hmm. And Jesus is saying, bring him into your house. And he's going, man, is he Trojan horsing me? I mean, is, this a, <laughs> is he going to get in the house and kill all of us? And you know what? No. He was genuinely saved. God had transformed the man's life. And I'm telling you, multiple millions of people later would come to Jesus. That's what I pray for Kanye. That'd be awesome, wouldn't it? Yep. Would come to Amen. Jesus as a result of that experience. So to Rob's point, I'm just contemporizing it for you so you get <laughs> what they were dealing with back in that day. A little skeptical and a little not unsure, but time bore him out. And so I'm saying not only did he discover this new light, but thirdly, and this is significant too, he discovered a new liberty. Now remember, he was a religious man, and nothing will blind you and nothing will bind you tighter than religion. The rules of religion, the regulation of religion. And Rob, you've talked about how in Romans 7, he's trying to follow the rules. We just can't follow can't the do rules. It. He just can't. can't he's trying to live up to the standard of the law. He's two foot, what, two steps forward and three backers. He just can't get it down. And that's what happens when you try to be, you know, follow the rules. Well, I think, you know, when we go back and you look at the, the old covenant that what God set up that, that he believed in, and that's why he thought there was something wrong with Christians, mm-hmm. was that you have to act a certain way, do certain things, if right. you're going to be right with God. Right. Well, then what Jesus comes along and actually proves what he's talking about in Romans 7, that we can't do it. That I established the law to let you know you can't do it, and there's only one way, and mm-hmm. that's surrendering to me. Right. And that when you surrender to me, now you have this new liberty. Right. That you're not under the law anymore. Mm-hmm. That I've already forgiven you. Mm-hmm. And that all those things that, that Satan keeps whispering in your ear when you mess up, that, you know, that somehow God doesn't love you anymore and somehow you're not worthy of God's love anymore. That no, I've, I've done it once and for all. Mm-hmm. That you are now with me. And I, I think it's this new way of, of, of living. You gotta realize that that... When you mess up and, and God actually corrects you, it's because he knows it's not good for you. It has nothing to do with the fact that he doesn't love you anymore. Right. And I think some people think it, look at the law and they look at this, this religious way of doing things that if I mess up, then I'm out. Right. And, and Jesus is saying, no, you're not out. Remember, he said that to the, the mm-hmm. woman caught in adultery. Right. I don't condemn you. Right. I don't condemn you. They, you know, where are the right. others? Well, they, right. once they looked at themselves, mm-hmm. they realized they have no right to mm-hmm. condemn you either. Right. And it's the fact that you're mine, and I just don't want you to do it because it's not good for you. Right. 
Because, because if I've got great things for you to do, and that's why I just keep going, and we see that he did yeah. great things. Well, Paul would later understand, because he would write to the Christ followers in Galatia, in the book of Galatians, the significance of the law. And he would later say, the law was a schoolmaster, it was mm-hmm. a teacher. It brought me to a point where I realized that I'm lost, I can't keep it, I'm, I, I, <laughs> I have to have a savior. So the only person who ever kept the law was Jesus. He's the only one who ever lived a perfectly sinless life. And, and, and he even said, I didn't come to do away with the law, I just came to fulfill it. So what happens is that when you become a Christ follower, the Bible says positionally you are in Christ. If anyone be in Christ, you see that positionally, in Christ, new creation, new normal. So to be in Christ means I am in the one who fulfilled the law. So in Christ, I experience the fulfillment of the law. So I stand before God justified. The word means to be made just as if I'd never sinned. So I'm justified in Christ who fulfilled the law. So Paul understood the significance of the law. It was not given so that someone could keep it. It was given to prove to people you can't. So you would then by faith depend on the only one who could. And Paul, when he finally got that straight in his mind, when he finally understood the significance of the law was to bring him before the Savior and call out to God to save him. When he said, that's the point of the law, he then was set free. He realized, man, I am free from the law of sin and death. And I am alive to do the work God has called me to do. So you see, he found a new liberty. Here's the other one in hurriedly. He found, fourthly, a new love. And this is significant as well. Probably one of the most significant things in all of his journey now with God is God is giving him a heart of love for people that he used to hate, hate. Rob. Mm-hmm. I mean, he is loving people that at one time he hated. And only God can transform that. And to show you how significant this point is, when you read 1 John 4, the Bible says if someone says they love God that they haven't seen, while they hate their brother that they see every day, the Bible says, how can the love of God dwell in someone like that? Mm -hmm. The point he's making is you cannot uh, hate your neighbor and say that you love God. And the only thing in the world that can transform a heart of hate, that can change a hater into a lover, is the power and the presence of God. And once God comes into your life, the closer you get to him, Uh, the more you love not only who he is, but you love who he loves. And the Bible says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. So some people, Rob, I think just need to say, Lord, love them through me. Because some people you're called upon to love aren't real lovable. Would you agree with that? (laughs) (laughs) And so, but here's your loophole. You want a loophole? You don't have to like everybody. (laughs) He didn't say like everybody, he said love everybody. That's just a sidebar there. Don't, Don't call me out on it. It's just something to think about. But the point is, you're, we're called to love. Yeah. And I think, Rob, the way that happens is in that great commandment that God gave us. Well, in, in, in John 13, I think when he said, basically, you've got Paul loving to kill Christians, yep. he becomes one, and now he wants everybody to be Christians. And, yep. and I think when you look at the example of Jesus on the cross, I mean, he loved the people that were putting to a death enough yeah. to die for them. Father, forgive them. And I think that's something that we have to realize that that is becomes the new normal. And that's what he says in John 13. He says, guess what, guys? That all you got to do now is to love God and love everybody else the way I've loved you. Right. And Jesus loved you what? Unconditionally. Mm-hmm. It, wasn't, it wasn't what you did, what you didn't do. It's the fact that I died for you. And again, like he said, he, mm-hmm. he died for the people who, who put him to death. He loved you sacrificially. He gave for you, and that's how we should love others is sacrificially, and he loved eternally. There's nothing 
that can stop his love for us. Amen. And I think that's what we have to do. And, and you always talk about that, what you just said earlier, is that the only way a lot of times we're going to be able to do that is say, God love them through me. Because yeah. I don't have the power. Right. Well, that's why he yeah. has uh, his spirit in us so that we can yeah. do this. It's hard to hate anybody you're, you're praying for. Yeah. And I would tell you, if you're really struggling with, with loving somebody, start praying for them. It may not change them. They may be meaner than a snake for the rest of your life. But what it'll do is it'll change you. It'll change your heart toward them. It'll change your outlook. And, and, and the reason that's significant is you won't see people as they are. You'll see them as you are. Mm -hmm. So when you have this transformation that changes your heart toward other people, it changes how you see other people. In fact, when Ananias, Robin, that narrative, if you look back in that narrative, you'll see oh, yeah. he refers to Saul this way, Brother Saul. <laughs> Isn't that sweet? Brother Saul. <laughs> he saw him as a member of the family. What happened, man? There was a connection. My spirit bears witness with his spirit that we're the sons and daughters of God. There was a transformation, a connection. He realized that's my brother in Christ. I'm going to spend an eternity with this man who hated me and whom, who I hated until God changed both of our hearts. And it was an amazing thing that happened there. Last thing that happens, and we'll close, is he found a new labor. Yeah. A new labor. You know what he does? He starts starting churches that he was trying to persecute. <laughs> the very church he's trying to kill, he's now going to propagate. He's going to spread. He's going to start. He's going to spend the rest of his life, Rob, reaching out to people that he didn't have the time of day for. God had so transformed his heart. He had an eternal perspective on the rest of his life. He realized the most significant thing, the most important thing is getting people to Jesus. And we talk about that in our church all the time. Folks, the most significant thing, the, it, it doesn't matter. Look, it really doesn't matter what you're right about if you're wrong about Jesus. And if you're wrong about Jesus, it doesn't matter what you're right about. You and I can agree to disagree on a lot of things, but let's don't disagree on Jesus. Let's understand the significance. Jesus said, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. So I want our mission church of our church to always be that doormat at the front door of the Met Church. Whosoever will, let him come. Uh, the door is open. We ought to love people. We ought to reach out to people. We ought to do everything we can to get people to Jesus. That's what it's all about, getting people to Jesus. He's the only one that has the power to transform their life. At the end of the day, when it's all said and done, that's the only thing that'll make a difference in eternity. Rob mentioned that John 13, 35, great verse. He said this, Jesus said this, by this will all men know you're my disciples. If you're doctrinally pure, that's not what he said. Um, if you can quote scripture, that's not what he said. Um, if, you, if you follow all the rules, no, that's not what he said. By this shall all men know you're my disciples if you love one another. If you love one another. Man, love is the most powerful force, the most irresistible force in all the world. It's my job to love people. It's our job as a church to love people. It's not my job to clean everybody up. That, that, that's, that's crazy. That's like, I'm a fisher of men. You know, here's how that, what that looks like. I catch them, he cleans them. Amen. <laughs> I don't even know where the dirt is. So I just catch them and he cleans them. I leave it up to him. My job is to get them to Jesus. And from there, the Holy Spirit will do what only the Holy Spirit can do. And that's transform their life. Amen. So let's pray God will help us be more effective at that. Lord, thank you for this weekend. Thank you for an opportunity that Rob and I have had to share your word with these incredible people and those watching online. I pray now, Father, first for my friends who may never have placed their faith in you. I pray this might be the moment when, like the Apostle Paul, they humble their heart 
They realize the significance of a relationship with you, that you are the Messiah. You are God's son sent into this world to go to the cross to bear our sin, to rise again in victory so that we might know you in the forgiveness of sin and one day have a home in heaven. Mm -hmm. So I pray there'll be many watching this service who will just simply pray this prayer and say, Lord, with everything I now know about me, I trust everything I now know about you. Mm -hmm. Come into my life, forgive my sin, be a reality in me. May that be their prayer. And others, Lord, who just need uh, some encouragement, maybe some, maybe like my brother here in the church that shared his story, at the, and I shared it at the beginning of the service. They, they just may be going through a hard time right now, a dark season. Father, I just pray you'll encourage them. Help our church to always come alongside people that are hurting mm -hmm. and to be able to say to them, we get it, we love you, and we'll partner with you. We're gonna get through this. Father, encourage some people today. And for those who need someone to pray for them before they go home, I pray they'll find their way here to the front. Just let one of these incredible people spend a few minutes just to encourage them, to love on them and pray for them before they go. Father, keep us safe this week. Bless us in all that we have to do. I pray, Lord, that you'll bring joy into every life. Lift burdens this morning, I pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today with us. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us so that we can follow up with you this week by visiting metchurch.com. We look forward to seeing you again next week.